0: You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Mikaz and Mash here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Oh, man. We got a lot to unpack here on a Monday edition of Crunch Time. Right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041. Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here. So roles kind of reversed this weekend. The Saints win. God, felt like it's been forever since I've said that. It was euphoric. <laughs> yeah, you you could say that again. Um, it was euphoric. Oh, my God. Okay. That did me literally <laughs> move on. Uh, and then LSU well you, you know they was they, worried
2: pretty well they, a they, lot they, went wrong
1: they they played a number 8 team at home and didn't show up what what, what are you going to do we'll talk about both of those games we'll also preview the Houston Astros game one of the ALDS tomorrow uh, and we'll also preview the Cajuns as they travel to Huntington, West Virginia to take on the Marshall Thundering Herd on a national primetime game Wednesday night. Game hotline, 337 706 Here in Acadiana, you can watch us on the simulcast, Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. So before I bring in my producer, and co-host Mr. James Mesh, I, I want to take a second to talk about my fantasy team in the Crunch Time League. Um, So believe it or not, it's it's worse than the Saints. And, I believe it. And LSU and and UL and everybody. Um, unless Darren Waller and Clyde Edwards-Lair combine for a 60-piece tonight. I'm going to be 0-5. It's
2: not the most unrealistic but, thing. Okay, it's, it's incredibly unrealistic. Darren Waller hasn't scored 20-plus all season. Yeah, but he, he could almost pull a Hawkinson and just randomly get 40. Doubt it.
1: But anyways, Non-believer. The, thing, the thing that's going to hurt the worst is not that I'm going to lose again. I've become accustomed to that. I'm I'm the old you're guy. Used to it. I'm <laughs> the old guy in the water boy.
0: Oh no, we suck again.
1: No, it's who I'm going to lose to. Is what hurts. <laughs> and now, I will bring in my producer and co-host, Mr. James Mesh. James, you're going to be two and three by beating the little guy. How does that one feel? Eh, it's a stepping stone. Oh. okay. Okay.
2: I went on a three-game skin, and I wasn't happy about it, so this was more of a business trip. A business <laughs> trip, he said. Took care. Got to take care of business. He's going
1: to walk in, kick ass, take names, and leave. Yeah, all right, who's next? <laughs> Show me my next opponent. All right,
2: who's next? Oh, week, week six, who do I play? Oh, I play Saiyan Pride.
1: Okay, so the Saints game yesterday thirty nine thirty two victory yeah. for the boys and it was uh, again you know the, it was the, shockingly
2: very entertaining
1: the word that I'm going to use to describe this game
2: uh-huh it's interesting wow it was interesting <laughs> Doug deep into the vocabulary for that one
1: hey don't 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 even <laughs> do that don't even do that the reason that I find it so interesting is Every time the Saints had momentum, they tried to give it right back. I mean, let's walk through the scoring summary. Will Lutz hits a 56-yard field goal, kind of redeems himself a little bit from missing that 61-yarder. Not that I was really mad at him for it, but you you get what I'm saying. Redeems himself, sure. 50-yard touchdown pass to D.K. Then we give up another field goal. They get a 56-yarder of their own. Yeah, Okay, you know, you got to win there because you held them to a field goal. You're only down 10-3. Second quarter, you erupt. Taysom Hill scores an 8-yard touchdown run. Seven minutes later, Taysom Hill gets in the end zone again. Now it's 17-10. to 10. And over the next three and a half minutes, you proceeded to give the lead right back. Okay, so now you're losing at halftime. Third quarter, you open up. Beautiful play. Touchdown to Chris Olave. Obviously, he gets knocked out with a concussion. We hope for the best. Blah, blah, blah. 12 minutes later, Taysom Hill throws the ball, shockingly. And what happened? It was a dart to Adam Troutman, who did you know he could catch passes and score touchdowns? Because I didn't. He looks so nervous because the first <laughs> time
2: that he had an opportunity to catch the ball, he got knocked away. And then this one, I saw it in his eyes. He was like, Right, right. Oh, God, I have the ball.
1: So now you're up 12 at the end of three quarters, riding high, feeling good about yourself. (laughs) And what do you do? What do you do? You give up 13 points on two big plays. Two big plays. A 40-yard touchdown pass to Tyler Lockett, which was the exact same route that you got beat on right before the half. Same play. They ran it again. And what happened again? Paulson Adebo got burned. Burned. That dude was trash yesterday. If he played yesterday the way he played throughout his entire career, I don't know that he would have made it out of high school. He was that bad. I think I could have played better corner than he did yesterday. Horrible. So, again, burned again. And then... Rashad Penny gets hurt and found out he's out for the year. Yeah, fractured tibia. So in comes rookie Kenneth Walker. Kenneth Walker out of Michigan State, who I had high hopes for in the NFL. And what does he do? Burns you 69 yards to the house. So now you go from up 12 to down one in a matter of eight minutes. So who do you call? You're not calling the Ghostbusters. No, you're calling the Mormon Missile, Swiss Army Knife, Mr. Everything. Taysom Hill. The real Superman. His fourth, fourth touchdown of the day. A 60-yard touchdown run, and the Mark Ingram punches it in for two to put you up seven, and the defense does the job late. You know what this game kind of reminded me of?
2: Saints... Rams in twenty eighteen. The game Drew got hurt. The one where Michael Thomas goes off. Or was that twenty seventeen? Twenty seventeen. No, that was twenty no, that no, was twenty it was twenty eighteen. It was the one at home. It was when they won forty five thirty five. That might have been twenty nineteen. It was one of those games. I mean, we're, we're gonna have to look that up Because cause, cause it was like one guy just had a huge game and the game to win it was capped off with a huge play where it was like they've been going off all game and then it it just ends with a huge touchdown catch. Like, remember when Michael Thomas beat Marcus Peters and just went straight down the field and caught a 75-yard touchdown? That's what what this Taysom Hill touchdown to cap off the day reminded me of that game.
1: So, I don't – anyways – We'll we'll figure that out, but you no know, and yeah it was 2018 regular season. Saints won 45 35. It was the Rams' first loss of the year. The Saints scored 35 points in the first half, mm-hmm. and then tried to give the game right back.
2: Yep. See what I mean? And, that, and then yeah, you I, cap it off with the, a 75 yard touchdown if I remember, by Michael Thomas.
1: If I remember correctly, the Rams had come back to tie that game. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they tied it with 9:48 left in the game. Threw a 41-yard touchdown pass to Cooper Cup. And then Lutz hit a field goal to go up three, and then a couple minutes later, Drew hit that, like you said, that 72-yard touchdown pass to Mike. Yep. Yeah, very, very similar to uh, to that game. Because, you know, you talk about it. We, we haven't really talked about it. Alvin Kamara had a quietly fantastic game yesterday. He had 196 yards
2: of offense, and it was like, really?
1: And nobody talked about it.
2: That screen was huge. Crazy, did, what happens you, when you run a see, screen? Did
1: you see what I posted on Twitter? No. A screenplay that worked
2: wouldn't have been me. Well, I practically said the same thing. I said, "Crazy, what happens when you run a screen, Pete?"
1: Wouldn't have been me. Hey, come on, man, we've made a living off of that screenplay for 15 years under Sean Payton. And now that Sean's gone, nobody calls it?
2: The reason why it became less effective the last couple of years is because they would run just a Camaro screen on 3rd and 18 when it's like, okay. Well, of course, a 3rd and 18 screenplay is not going to work. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like it became less effective because it was just bad timing of the plays.
1: But on a 2nd and 8, when your team can do... Either or, run oh. or pass. When they sent seven on the blitz. It's like, God. Oh, my God. Genius. That's crazy. Genius. And, okay, Andy Dalton. Well, let's talk about Andy Dalton for a second. No, he wasn't spectacular. I mean, because his numbers don't jump off the page at you. But he did what he had to do. He went 16-24 to 24 for 187 yards, threw a touchdown. Through a pick, the pick wasn't really a bad throw. It was just a really good play, in my opinion.
2: He looked down that side of the field the whole time. Yeah, I it was mean, like, I mean,
1: I mean, at um, least
2: lo- at least look the other side first.
1: But again, I said it last week, and I'm going to say it again: the offense flows better under Andy right now. Correct. Now, am I saying Andy should be our full time starting quarterback? No, I'm not saying that. What I am saying, though, is that Jameis needs to stay on the bench until he is 100% healthy. If that takes eight weeks, then that takes eight weeks. From what we've seen in the last two weeks, I think Andy Dalton could carry this team for eight weeks. If he had to. It's one of those situations. I would rather a healthy Jameis for the last four games of the year when we're still fighting for a playoff spot than him try to play now injured, we lose games and then we don't make the playoffs at all. So Andy Dalton's play stood out to me. Obviously Taysom Hill and Alvin Kamara stood out to me. Uh Cam Jordan is still that dude. Cam is still that guy. People have talked about oh well, you know, he's getting older, he's getting crap. That is absolute crap. Three tackles, a sack and a half, two tackles for a loss, and he got two hits on the quarterback. That's a great game for an ed- for a D end. Great game. Pete Warner, also fantastic. Again. Who needs Quan Alexander? Not us. We got Pete. We got Demario Davis. Who, uh, which, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm going on a tirade here the people that are going on social media saying that Demario Davis has regressed, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. The guy hasn't put up the numbers that he has in recent years, but it's not always about numbers. The dude's disrupting play. Because what's happening is offenses are looking at the scouting report and going, oh, we got to put an extra body on that guy. So what happens? In comes Cam Jordan. In comes Pete Warner. In comes, it's not all about stats. You think you think nose tackles get 10 sacks a year? Not not usually. What they do is that they disrupt plays, though. And that's what Demario Davis has been doing. And he has been absolutely fantastic. All right, James. I'm done with my tangent. How was your fan experience in the Superdome yesterday?
2: It was pretty interesting. It, that had been the first time since I was that low and close to the field since 2013 when the Saints played the Bills. So, that was fun. Uh, the, it was a little interesting. I got so distracted by the burrito that I had at the stadium, the burrito. Yeah. Let me tell you about it. It's it's a Cajun burrito. Okay. It had chicken,
1: starting red beans, red beans and sausage, starting off good, and then jambalaya. Holy mother of God! Yeah. So it's like the the Popeyes thing that they used to do.
2: Practically, like I, I, it was so good, and I got so distracted, I didn't even realize what had happened on the punt with Taysom recovering the fumble, mm. and then them being so close to the goal line. I was in the stands, and I was like, "What's going on?" I was I was so dazed, I was so confused because the burrito was so just, good that I was just like,
1: "The burrito." I was like, "Why is nobody getting loud?" And it's mm-hmm. like, "Oh wait, we're on
2: offense." The, My bad. The,
1: the burrito. This guy,
2: I would practically say it was it was worth the money.
1: Uh, I, I, I would get. I it don't even it. want to know how much you spent on it. Fifteen.
2: Holy
1: crap! It on was, a burrito. It was pretty good. Oh, that, did it come with a drink or a side or anything?
2: Chips, a bag of chips. But do you know what's funny about the bag of chips? I think it had about five chips in it. Probably. I I I, I felt I was like. That's a lot of oh, air. <laughs> oh, the Superdome. And I look at that, I was like, wow.
1: They they making their money. Oh, yeah. They're making their money. No, that's Ruffles. <laughs>
2: Ruffles Oof. is making the money there.
1: That's brutal.
2: But then it was interesting. So when you go to a game mm-hmm. and, like, you're going as a fan, mm-hmm. are you sitting down the whole time? No. Okay. Be- I'm standing up more times than not. Because there was, there was somebody and their daughter – and they were to the right of us one row back. And they were complaining to us because we were standing. And they were like, we can't see. It's like, we're at a football game. We're not at a ballet. Why would we be sitting the whole time? Yeah, no. So we were standing for the first drive for the offense. And then we continue standing for the defense. And they're like, you're standing for the defense too? Yeah, It's like we're standing for the whole game as 90% of the people should be doing. But she, they got upset and like throughout the game. It's like if they were able to see. They, they also tried to say it was like, Ugh, well, my child can't see. It was weird because there was empty seats to the right of us, one row in front, and then all, even more to the left on our same row. It was like if you really wanted to watch the game that badly – you could have just scooted up one row. It's not like we were going to gonna go to security. No one, Pretty much no one was there. The people that were there, they were there for about five minutes throughout the game. I don't know why you complain that much about not being able to see.
1: Some people just like to complain. Some it's, people just like to complain. It's, it was
2: crazy. It was like we would hear that every once in a while. Like, oh, we can actually kind of somewhat see the game. Enjoy, enjoy the Seahawks fans behind us. They, they they, were cool. They were cool about everything, about that was going on.
1: They, they know that their team sucks.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, because the, the younger one, I don't know if it was like his son or his nephew or whatever, but he, he was like, no, that was, oh, why'd they call a penalty? I forgot what the penalty was on for the Seahawks, but he was like, it, it, it was definitely, they got away with that. Or like there was no call. When it when there should have been on the Seahawks, and he was yeah, like, but they was, got a, they got away with that but one." There was
1: a couple of calls that favored no, but I, the I'm, Saints yesterday. No, that, I, I, but I
2: am saying in general, he was he was totally fair and was like, mm, "No, they got no, they got away with that uh, one." Right?
1: No, I get what you are saying, but uh, I am also gonna add on to that and say that there was a couple of calls that they called against the Seahawks that weren't really there. Like which one? There was one I'm trying to remember off the top. There was one that they called. A defensive holding on a corner, and there wasn't much. I mean, tech, if you want to get super technical, it was there. It was
2: kind of like that same thing with the Marshawn P.I. Whenever the ball was, was right. 10 yards
3: if you ahead, want to get, it was like, if you, you want to get super
1: technical, but it was weak. Like 90% of refs in the league wouldn't have called it. And so, I mean, there there was a couple of calls. The the Saints, the, for for once, the Saints did not get screwed by officiating yesterday. It felt it felt fair for one right. It felt fair right. For once, the Saints did not get screwed by officiating because I saw because nice I see.
2: saw flags and I was like, it's gonna be on the Saints. And then yep. they're like, on defense, and I'm like, oh wait, hold on, wait. Yep. Can can we say that one? Can you can you can repeat you, that? Can you
1: repeat that one more time, please? Oh, man. All right, the Sweet Dough Pie Festival is coming back and serving up a slice of history and deliciousness. Every year, pastry chefs and home cooks vie to be crowned best in the Sweet Dough Pie contest where the public is the judge. And, of course, a large variety of pies are available for purchase. The Sweet Dough Pie Festival returns Saturday, October 29th from 9 to 3 at Grand Coteau Town Park in Grand Coteau. For more information, call 337-331-6352 or visit the town of Grand Coteau's facebook page at 4 30 wilson alexander will join us for tiger talk at 5 o'clock apollo des will join us for to the moon a day early and then at 5 30 we'll bring you a preview of marshall and louisiana with russ living of the thundercast podcast right here on the game southwest louisiana sports station in your home for the lsu tigers and houston astros for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. While we're on the subject of LSU, let's hear from Tigers head coach Brian Kelly, who offered an injury update on their starting two left tackles in Will Campbell and Garrett Dellinger.
4: So Will, um, in in our walkthrough, had an episode, and and we really didn't know what it was. Um, He's had a battery of tests. They've ruled out. Virtually, you know, any life-threatening, serious, you know, medical um, situations, he's still going to have a couple more tests done before he's released. So, you know, obviously, that's really a a positive thing. I I, I was told that, you know, some of it may be um, to do with some dehydration. I don't know that that's the only thing, but certainly that affected our our team. You know, the young man went down uh, during a walkthrough, and you know. EMS is called and the ambulance is in your you know on your field. Um, but but our thoughts are with him and, and you saw he posted an Instagram. you know he seemed to be doing pretty good there. Garrett Dellinger, you know took a took a, a blow to the to the knee. It's, it's a knee strain. We'll get an MRI. He had a knee brace on, but that's that's the good the good news, but we'll get an MRI and, and have more information for you here in the next the next press conference.
1: Brian Kelly also went as far as to say that the result Saturday, a 40-13 defeat at the hands of Tennessee, is not what they expected.
4: Well, that was not um, what we had planned um nor expected. We expected to play much better than that. Certainly, when you uh, fumble the open kickoff and give a extra possession to a team that you know obviously plays fast and, and loves extra possessions, and then give them another three points and spot them ten points in special teams, you put yourself in a huge hole. Uh, that's what we did. And then our our details were were, were not very good. I, I mean, look, I could stand up here all day. Th- that falls on coaching. That that's on me and have to coach better.
1: And lastly, reiterating that point, Brian Kelly said that they need to coach better and fix the missing, missed signals.
4: We're on double secret pro. Again, our details weren't very good. We didn't tackle very well. Again, I could give you a, a number of different uh, reasons for it, but it falls on us as coaches. We have to communicate better. We miss some, some signals. That's on us. I mean, we have to have a better system where guys don't miss signals after we're double checking, you know, they look, we look, we, we had a couple of those scenarios. And that's just, again, I, I don't want to keep repeating myself, but those are the guys that are playing for us and, and we've got to get them to play better.
1: James, should we break the folks heart now or wait till later?
4: We can wait till later.
1: We can wait till later. Okay. So going to the saints now, obviously, you know, we, we have foreshadowed some, uh, some bad news for a little later on in the show. But, anyways, Dennis Allen met with the media following the 39 to 32 win for the New Orleans Saints and was asked if he planned to use Taysom that much.
3: Look, I don't know that you ever really know exactly how many snaps somebody's going to get. It just depends on how the game's being played out, you know. Um, but I thought we were able to do some things in the running game and utilize him in, in those areas. Um, and then, obviously, with the uh, with what they were doing defensively, um, you know, trying to stop the run game, we felt like there was an opportunity in the passing game, and and, and uh, you know we were able to throw a touchdown there. So, uh, look, I got to give you know Pete Carmichael and the offensive staff a lot of credit for the game plan that they put together. Um, they operated it it uh, very well, and uh, and and that was a big part of it.
1: And then lastly, here's a clip of Dennis Allen's locker room speech post game.
3: 1-0, oh. sure. take it one week at a time, okay? Never take winning for granted. That was a hell of an effort, okay? We talk about this being a bat game, all right, okay? And we talk about being the most physical team, and we talk about winning the Russian battle, right? Okay, how about 48 for 225? <laughs> and we made the plays when we needed to make the plays. And here's the deal, man, okay? When your number is called, you got to step up. And we had some guys step up today. Yeah. That's a hell of a win. All right? It's a hell of a win. Now, we got a lot of things we still got to clean up. got to do. 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0. Hell of a win, man. Yes, Somebody break it down.
1: It's time to face your worst nightmares with the game's 13th gate giveaway. We have VIP tickets for the legendary haunted house attraction. That way you can scream over and over again while others have to wait in line. Simply register in the game clubhouse.com. Game Rewards Club, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to win a pair of VIP tickets to the 13th gate. And that's courtesy of Midnight Productions and The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Take a timeout. Wilson Alexander joins us next for Tiger Talk here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Johnson throws, Butte's got it wide open at the 10, far side, he's in
0: for the score, hit high, hammered to left field, going back, taking a look, is Holcomb, and it's gone. Time to talk all things Bayou Bengals with the Advocates, Wilson Alexander. Here is Tiger Talk on Crunch Time with Megas and Mesh.
1: Wilson Alexander, what's going on, bud? How you doing? Uh, I'm doing well, I'm doing well. So, looking at Saturday, a forty to thirteen loss to Tennessee, you know, really from the, well, not really, literally from the jump, uh, just a myriad of issues uh, from your from your vantage point. Saturday, what happened?
5: Uh, well, like you said, a lot of a lot of problems. Obviously, opening kickoff, muffing that, and, and giving Tennessee the ball when Brian Kelly, you know, he likes to take the opening kickoff anyway, but he's traditionally wanted to here to. He said analytically limit Tennessee's possessions. Um, instead, you gave Tennessee an extra possession by only the paint kickoff, and they went right down and scored uh, in five plays. And then there was a special teams uh, mistake with the allowing a long return on the uh, punt when LC had to go three and out. All of a sudden, they're down 10 to nothing. It gets to 20 to nothing. It's filed out of control really fast, and that wasn't going to be a recipe for LC winning this game against an offense like Tennessee. You could not afford to get down big early. Um, and then they just really, at that point, had no chance to get back into the
1: game. Uh, LSU was down an offensive lineman with Will Campbell you know, having issues on, on Friday, and we'll get to that in a second. Garrett Dellinger got hurt in the game Saturday. Uh, Brian Kelly's calling it an MCL sprain, and he's out until the bye week. Uh, what, a, what a massive loss for LSU up front.
5: It is big. You know, going into the season, there were certainly concerns about this offensive line uh, for because there just wasn't a lot of proven players on here, and they had some depth issues. Um, they had played actually probably better than most people expected, not like a dominant unit, but had kind of held their own against Mississippi State and seemed like they were getting better. But then, like Campbell out, like you said, and then Dellinger out now for the next two weeks, um, they're starting to have to dip into that depth. And that depth is not very strong. And uh, so Xavier Hill, who, you know, actually had to miss the first two games because of academic suspension, he's, you know, was slid in for for Dellinger at left guard when um, he went down. And, and so now LSU, depending on what happens with Will Campbell, which we still don't know exactly if he's going to play in this game or really what his status is still kind of a lot of lingering questions about uh, his situation. Um, but now, you know, Garrett was one of their best offensive linemen, and to not have him is a big loss because it's forcing LSU to dip further into that depth that was already pretty thin.
1: So Will Campbell, the freshman, you know, phenom at left tackle, he went down Friday at walk through with what Brian Kelly described as an episode, and all they know right now is that it could be linked to dehydration. I have a I have a two part question. Um, number one, you know. When you have a Division One athletic program with nutritionists and 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 whatnot, how do you get dehydrated?
5: Well, we don't know. Uh, it's kind of the short answer in this situation. There, there's a lot that you know about what happened. Um, I mean, Josh Williams called it a traumatic uh, event. Uh, so certainly, it was something that's serious. I mean, EMS or an ambulance had to come onto the field at LSU's indoor practice facility. Um, and take Will to the hospital. Um, So there's something going on. That's why he's been going through so many tests since Friday. Uh, Went through more on Saturday, which Brian Kelly said um, cleared up anything that would potentially be life-threatening or a serious medical issue. Um, But he passed another major test this morning uh, and was finally going to get discharged from the hospital. I mean, he's been in there all weekend. And so there's still a lot that we don't know about what caused that. He was treated for dehydration at the hospital Friday night, but even Brian Kelly said like that there might be you know might have been more that caused the dehydration, but we don't know at this point uh, the the full scope of what happened with Will Campbell.
1: So Wilson, in, in my opinion, you look at LSU's performance, and, and really you kind of look at the season as a whole. The biggest thing to take away is that LSU is severely lacking a running game. Which is a- abnormal for the Tigers because for, for a long time, that's, that was part of their identity, what was having such a dominant rushing attack. But I mean, 55 yards on 28 carries Saturday, I mean, that's just not going to cut it.
5: I mean, and a lot of that was Jaden Daniels, too. Uh, you're kind of looking at, you know, 55 yards, and that, I mean, you know, sack adjusted, it's a little bit higher because Jaden, um, I think, had 82 yards when you, when you remove sacks. Um, but the running backs themselves, you know, three running backs, Emory, Noah Kane, Josh Williams rushed twelve times for a combined seventeen yards. Uh, when we look at it that way, which is I think probably the best way to look at it, it's even worse uh, than the fifty-five yards and twenty-eight carries. I mean, they got demolished up front, and and then they when they fell behind, they had to start throwing the ball even more. I mean, Jaden Daniels attempted forty-five passes, um, and so they kind of just stopped and gave, kind of gave up on the run. And it was going to be hard from the get-go without you know without Dellinger for most of the game and without Will Campbell. But um, it's a bad sign for what could be, you know, with the rest of the season. And what's weird about it and kind of head-scratching is LSU had actually kind of leaned on the running game a little bit in the second half to win the Auburn game. And even right at the very end against Mississippi State to close out that game, they had been able to run the football at times, situationally anyway. Not a prolific attack, but able to pick up some key third downs and able to uh, average a little bit more than four yards a rush. Uh, And that's kind of what Brian Kelly wanted from this team because they don't have a dominant running game. Um, But they just got absolutely beat at the line of scrimmage. There was a third down, um, excuse me, fourth and one. Uh, They tried to do an inside zone uh, right around midfield, and uh, Josh Williams got stuffed. The linebacker came right through between Miles Frazier and Charles Turner. uh, And then Tennessee turned around next play. He had the 45 yard touchdown to put Tennessee up 20 to nothing. And so, yeah, it's a major concern that they were not able to run the football with any degree of effectiveness because it could put so much on Jaden Daniels in a passing game. Um, obviously has not been uh, prolific, and kind of gets LSU away from what it wants to be offensively uh, under Mike Dimbrock, which ha- is they, they want to have a physical running game and-, and be able to run the football and win at the point of attack, but they're not able to right now.
1: You know, we we talked about the the issues from the jump. A lot of the drives early on. I mean, you look at LSU's drive chart. Five of their first six drives ended in either a turnover or a punt. Uh, and a lot of that had to do with penalties and, and poor decision making. You know, what do you from from what you saw Saturday? What does LSU need to clean up the most offensively?
5: Ooh, um, it's got to execute a lot better. Um, it, there's a myriad of issues here. I mean, you know, Jaden Daniels has to you know push the ball downfield, pull the trigger a little bit in some certain situations. I, I thought he actually played. He certainly played better than he did in the Auburn game when he only threw for 80 yards. Um, he was you know, responding to a few of the coaching points that LSU had in terms of be more aggressive, try to fit throws into tighter windows. He looked a little bit more uh, decisive in some moments, but there was also still the issues like there was a third, but right before that, Josh Williams' fourth down that I mentioned earlier, it was third and one, LSU ran two deep routes, and it went max protection, and Jaden Daniels had somebody one-on-one. That Tennessee had pretty good coverage too, but he just kept holding on to the ball rolled out, threw it away, and you could actually, the television feed did a great job of picking this up. Brian Kelly's screaming, throw the ball, throw the ball, and talking about one-on-one coverage. Um, that's something, and, you know, Brian then, like, leans over and just shakes his head. You know, he still believes in Jaden Daniels. He said after the game that, um, you know, that is, was actually probably the best person on offense uh, against Tennessee, um, and that he sees these issues that a lot of fans are noticing differently um, from from his vantage point. But, you know, Jaden's got to play better. Like you said, with the running game, that's got to get going better. There needs to be fewer procedural penalties um, in some certain areas. Um, even the play calling schematically might need to change. There's a lot kind of going on offensively. It's all sort of combining together uh, to make LSU uh, struggle. And especially, I mean, right out of the gates, they're, they're just not doing anything offensively right now early uh, and they're putting themselves in some pretty big holes that they weren't able to get out of against Tennessee.
1: Chatting with Wilson Alexander of the Advocate here for Tiger Talk. Wilson, how do you how do you think the Tigers best move forward from this game and prepare for Florida in the swamp this Saturday?
5: Well, there's a couple things. It's interesting because first, you know, year one under a head coach, and you kind of get this in college football, a lot of different teams around the country, it can be pretty volatile, you know, week to week. Um, just because something happened one week doesn't necessarily mean it'll carry over to the next. Um, even though you have, you know, trends, that those can be uh, disrupted, I guess, in college football, maybe a lot easier because you're just dealing with, you know, 18- to 22-year-olds who, you um, so one week they might play really inspired. So I think the big thing though, when you talk, when Kelly was talking about this today, is that LSU is in the year year one under head coach, trying to rebuild a culture, rebuild a team, and it needs to stick to its process, um, which you know is a blanket word that about that covers a lot of different things. Um, but not 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 panic. You know they're four and two, two and one in the SEC, which isn't a bad spot to be. And obviously though, you know you're going to face some really more difficult situations coming up and they just need to kind of continue to work on that process because they know that they're trying to build something long-term. And while it might be kind of volatile week to week here, the rest of the season might have some really good Saturdays might have some more really bad Saturdays kind of stick to that and trust it uh, in order to build something that's going to last instead of, um, you know, being a little bit of a flash in the pan.
1: Looking at Florida, Billy Napier coming from the university of Louisiana, going to Florida, Bringing a lot of his staff from Louisiana with him. you know you look at Florida so far this season, they're off to a four and two start. They're one and two in the SEC. you know are are they maybe off to a little bit of a faster start than most people expected over in Gainesville?
5: Probably because I mean especially with that win against Utah week one, Utah is a team that a lot of folks had as a sneaky like uh, playoff contender. And they haven't been that. They lost to UCLA uh, this past weekend, and that pretty much dashed any hopes of, of getting into the playoff. But at the end you know, the team that was at the Rose Bowl last year uh, with a veteran quarterback in Cam Rising, they go to the Swamp, and, and Florida beats them right out of the gate. And that was an impressive win. Uh, they hung close with Tennessee on the road. And we know what this Tennessee team is right now. Uh, and we'll learn a lot more about them over the next few weeks to see if they're actually you know true contenders. But it looks like they are. And you know, Florida hung. You know, it ended up being the final score was probably not quite as reflective as how close. You know, actually, you know, Tennessee got up a little bit bigger, and then Florida started coming back at the right at the end. Um, but that was a five-point game at, by the by the end of the fourth quarter. And so they they've been playing pretty well. And they're really strong on the offensive line. Brian Kelly said have a great running game. I mean, they're averaging six point three eight yards for carry, which is third in the country. Um, with a couple of with another, uh, you know kind of local kid and, and atn as the running you know uh travis's brother and so um they, they, they they've been playing uh, fairly well and they're kind of in a similar spot with lsu with a first year coach trying to get more consistent
1: and lastly you know looking at that lsu florida matchup where what matchups on the field do you think that lsu has an advantage in this game
5: i um, still kind of sorting through all the stats and, and figuring that out, but I think this comes down to that ability to stop the run. Um, you know, Florida, like I said, good offensive line. Um, that uh, wasn't great necessarily against Missouri this past week, but that's kind of what LSU has circled as the strength of their team with that running game. Um, this is a defensive line though, just this past weekend that gave up season high 263 yards on the ground, Tennessee. that was surprising. You had not seen that out of LSU this season. They've been a pretty stout run defense. Um, asked Brian Kelly, actually, if, if that was a concern now going into that quarter game, because he circled their running game as something that is, uh, as their strength. Um, and he, he, said that, you know, they've got a good, he sort of took a sip of water and said, well, uh, they've got a good offensive line, but I like our defensive line. and I like our scheme. And so, you know, that's going to come to come down. It's going to be a big game for this defensive line and, and the linebackers as well. To be able to flow down and stop the run, um, that is a strength of LSU is that defensive line, um, and they need to be able to play well in this game. They actually kind of match up. It's surprising, even as though they lost so badly to Tennessee, in some ways they match up fairly well against Florida because they have that strength on the defensive line.
1: Wilson Alexander of The Advocate joining us here for Tiger Talk. LSU travels to Gainesville to play in the Swamp this Saturday at 6 o'clock. Pre-game's at 4, and you can hear it right here on The Game. Wilson, appreciate you joining us each and every week. We'll do it again next Monday, my friend.
5: Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Matt. you will have a good one.
0: Tune in next week for another edition of Tiger Talk. Here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. You're listening to the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Slings it far side. Stingley steps inside. The receiver and picks it off. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. A shot to left field. Going back on it's Gordon. He'll look up and... For the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
2: Welcome back to Crunch Time. As We've got a couple minutes left. Look at what happened over the weekend in the NFL as a whole, not just with the Saints. The Panthers made a couple moves. They fired head coach Matt Rule as well as they got rid of their special teams coordinator. While Baker Mayfield is now in a walking boot. (gasps) I'm shocked. I know, right? I mean, Matt Rule's doing so good. Oh. Oh, like, what,
1: seven wins so far? Oh, my God.
2: Look. One of them was against the Saints, though, so.
1: Look. I'm a firm, firm believer that sometimes coaches are just not made to coach in the NFL. Yeah, Saban's a perfect example. Exhibit A, Nick Saban. The winningest coach in the history of college football. Going to go down as the GOAT barely made it two years in the NFL before he was fired. Like, it's completely different vibes. I mean, look at Urban Meyer, too. Urban Meyer. I don't think he made it a calendar year before he was canned. No,
2: and if anything, it took too long to for well, them to, to get rid
1: of him. Look, I have no doubt that Matt Rule is going to take a college job like a Nebraska and bring them back to glory he's a great college coach look what he did at Baylor I mean that's po- look at what he did to get the job that he has or had should I say Um, he took a middle of the road Big 12 program that has time and time again been incredibly hard to win at and He brought them to prominence. I mean, again, you you look at it. His last year at Baylor, they were 11 and 3 and went to the Sugar Bowl. They went to the Sugar Bowl. In his three years at Baylor, year one, they went 1 and 11. His first year there. Then they went 7 and 6. And then they went eleven and three, and brought them to the Sugar Bowl. They hadn't had that kind of success. I mean, Art Briles had had some good years there, but you look at Art, even Art Bryles' tenure. Like, they won a lot of games, but like when it mattered, when you got to the bowl game, they didn't win. They got to the Fiesta Bowl in twenty thirteen. They lost. He got to the Cotton Bowl in 2014. They lost that too, and then the scandal came out. His last year, he went 10 and three. They fired him. Jim Grobe was there interim for a year. They went seven and six, and then Matt Rule stepped in. So look, no doubt in my mind, Matt Rule goes back to the college ranks and has success. But here's the here's the crazy thing. Say he doesn't. Say he decides. eh, you know, I want my buyout. The Panthers owe him $840,000 a month for the next, like, three and a half years. Can you say brutal? It's not looking good in Carolina. Oh, dude, they got to burn it. They got to burn it all. David Tepper's got to go. You trade off McCaffrey. You trade off Baker. You trade everything.
2: Well, good luck trying to trade Baker, but well, trade DJ Moore.
1: But yeah, anything of value, you trade it. Brian Burns. Trade him away.
2: You can't get rid of JC Horn, though.
1: And and, you, and you, you don't get players. You get picks. Nothing but picks. And next year, you're going to have 53 college rookies on your team, and you're just going to figure it out. That's what you're going to have to do. What are you
2: doing? Rebuilding on Madden?
1: Hey, bro. Hey, bro. What is this? Hey, what? hey, go get Matt Corral. Maybe Matt Corral can play. Maybe, maybe maybe, that could work. Malik Willis, somebody like that. That could be your quarterback.
2: It's funny because they said PJ Walker is going to be the projected starter while Sam Darnold <laughs> stays out for the next, <laughs> and I quote, several weeks. That's
1: cute. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two next. Right here on the game.
0: You're clocked out. We're locked, locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Hour number two, Crunch Time. Right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez, James Mesh, 502 here on your Monday. The Houston Astros, game one of the ALDS is tomorrow at 2.37. Pre-game is at 2.07, and you can catch that right here on the game. Being the start time is at 2.37, both Tuesday and Thursday, there will be no Jordy Holtberg show or crunch time on Tuesday and Thursday, which is why 24 hours early, we're going to the moon.
0: Fly me to the moon. That's driven deep to left center field. Gardner is going back. Looking go! See you later. See you later. See you later. Astros headed back to the World Series. Miguez and Nash are ready to launch into all things Houston Astros. Here is to the moon on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh.
1: Daz, what's up, buddy? How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm just driving through
6: downtown right now, 24 hours before the game. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's alive and well. October baseball's here and I'm just pumped.
1: Fantastic. I love that. So, question number one for you The Astros finished first in the AL. They're going to have home field advantage throughout the playoffs. But yet, their two games at home are in the middle of the day.
6: Yeah. Um, you know, we're used to it, and uh, I hate saying that because we deserve the primetime games here in Houston. The, look, the teams be packed. Um, it's going to be loud. It's going to be raucous. But what it's just hard to compete against, I guess, LA and New York uh, media. So uh, we're just going to we're gonna have to force our hand and, and win this series and, and play in the championship series and have some primetime games.
1: So looking at this matchup, the the Seattle Mariners, you know, it, it's a division matchup in the division series. You know, go figure. But you you look at it and I'm not gonna beat around the bush when I say this. The Mariners present a scary matchup for the Astros. hundred uh,
6: percent. I think the series goes five. Um, I think the the swing game in this series is Castillo in Houston game two against Framer Valdez. Um, if, if Seattle can find a way to get a split and head back to Seattle, it, it things get a little things get a little tight. and so um, Seattle is a team that they know us. We know them. Obviously, they're punching up. This is their World Series, and uh, on the other side, of the Ashes have been here. This is a millionth time in the last seven years. Uh, every team is, you know, wants to dethrone them, and, and uh, teams have failed time and time again. But like you said, this is a this is a scary matchup. I don't think a lot of people realize how good this team is. If you didn't watch the Wild Card Series, you saw Luis Castillo absolutely deal, and then you saw a Mariners offense down 8-1 scrap all the way back to win that series so um they're coming in with a lot of confidence they're coming in with a lot of uh tenacity towards houston and uh it starts with justin verlander sending a message early and often in the, in the first few innings filling up the zone with fastballs.
1: looking offensively jose altuve has been swinging a hot stick swinging over 300 in the regular season you know can he continue that in the postseason and step up in a big way
6: yeah, I think uh, I think the Astros go through um, how Altuze, how Jose Altuve is doing. The offense runs through him. The team runs through him. The city runs through him. And there's a lot of there's a lot of talk now finally about him catching Manny Ramirez with the most home runs in October. And I think he needs uh, six to, to six to tie in seven to have the most home runs in October ever. So if he gets that number, that means there's a parade in Houston. So uh, if he has a good solid month, uh, and I, which I think he will, he's healthy, he's having great at-bats, like you said, um, the team goes to him.
1: You know, you talked about the rotation. Verlander's going to go tomorrow. Valdez is going to go Thursday. One guy that's kind of a question mark, and, and it's, it's to be expected with the injury that he had to come back from, but Lance McCullers Jr., what kind of postseason do you think he could have?
6: Yeah, I think, I think a lot of people, and I, and I put a blog on the site, and I was just like, this is the move at the trade deadline no one's talking about. And it was Lance McCullough Jr. coming back, and we've seen him healthy. We've seen him stretched out now over the last month and a half. He has the freshest legs and arm in the entire league by coming back this late, and uh, he'll be ready to go. And Obviously, he's going to have the challenge to pitch against that Seattle crowd uh, for the first time in 21 years. Uh, they're going to be loud. They're going to be raucous, and we'll be jumping. There's no one better to pitch that type of game than Lance McCullers Jr. Uh, we saw it last year against the White Sox. We've seen it time and time again throughout the playoffs, and uh, I'm pumped to see him pitch in that moment because, honestly, he deserves to pitch that moment. They have a the chance to uh, silence uh, an entire city and possibly a, a country that's rooting at the Astros uh, this October.
1: You know, looking at, at Dusty Baker's talk with the media there's a sickness going around the clubhouse uh what what's the what's the latest with that
6: yeah um obviously I saw when Dusty said I, I don't know is that a little game and sh- game a little chest not checkers there with maybe uh, Dusty not putting putting out the the rotation all the way out I, I don't know uh, I haven't heard anything from from any of the guys to be overly concerned but uh at the end of the day hopefully it's something something minor maybe just a little butterflies but um, we'll see. Hopefully, the guys are, are good and healthy, and uh, we're we're gonna we need them to be 100. percent This series is gonna be daunting.
1: Chatting with Apollo Des of Apollo Hou here for to the moon. We talked about Altuve. You know, a couple other guys that, that really need to continue doing what they're doing or or step up in a big way. Alex Bregman, Kyle Tucker, and, and Jordan Alvarez kind of completing that big four. Uh, Alvarez borderline 40 home runs in the regular season. Tuck had thirty and a hundred, and then Bregman, you know, just had a big year ever since his son was born. Just, just kind of talk about those three and how they can produce.
6: Yeah, I think the big thing is just health. And, and in the years past, you can look back and you can see in eighteen, you know, Correa and Altuve were were banged up, and, and nineteen, some of our guys weren't all the way right. Uh, twenty the COVID year, twenty one last year, Bregman was wasn't right. Uh, Jordan was banged up, so. I think coming into this series, um, the guys being healthy, and I think that's a kudos to, to Dusty and the staff and training staff in the front office having a game plan of. I know it was very frustrating for the fan base and fans that you had guys getting random days off in the middle of their hot streaks and just random different lineups and you know kind of all this felt like a magic eight ball was making the lineup sometimes. But the guys are fresh and healthy, and I think that's huge. I, I think a lot of times over the last uh, few you know, four or five years the the team was in a, wasn't a hundred was percent with the help. And I think this year they are. So um, to see these guys come in and, and obviously they're going to be facing some really good arms and a really good pin. And, you know, to, to jump on them being, you know, 0 for three in a game, um, isn't that's, that's the fandom in us. But the reality is they're, they're facing some really good arms. And if, if they're on and, and, and they get hot and they start uh, picking each other up in, in the lineup and stringing hits together, this, 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 October can be really really fun.
2: Now looking at players that were acquired, what do you think has been the issue with Trey Mancini as of late?
6: Yeah, I think that's just a little bit of uh bad luck. I, I mean, if you look at the box scores it's not great and uh if you're at the games watching the games, he's hitting he's in the, the heck out of the baseball. It's just right at people. Feels a lot like Kyle Tucker to start the season off, uh, like kind of like Breggs. He's hitting line drives right at people and it's frustrating, uh, you know. If, if you play the game at any level, when, when you're going through that, it's, it's it's a helpless feeling. And so, uh, I would be nothing more surprised of how baseball is just so poetic and stuff. But Trey so he gets off the schneid with a little Crawford box merchant shot uh, here, at, uh, maybe tomorrow or on Thursday.
1: Dez, you know, looked at I looked at a graphic earlier talking about the players that are eligible for for arbitration. And uh it could be an expensive off season in Houston.
7: Yeah,
6: but we have an owner right now that has uh put his money where his mouth is and, and he understands the uh benefits of having a team that could compete for a World Series. And the arbitration is a is a subject that kinda of stinks in the sense that us fans really don't understand the concept of how both sides have to sit down at a table and it's they're pinching over pennies and the players are fighting for every every dollar, and you know the organization isn't. They're trying to save every dollar. So, um, if hopefully we can avoid arbitration with the with the guys on the list, um, and we don't have to go through that. But having having Jim Crane be the guy that's uh, steering the pirate ship is, is a good thing, and he's he's willing to spend money.
2: And then looking at the series that's coming up tomorrow, what are your overall expectations, and maybe an early? prediction
6: uh man i think uh i think as we survive the surge um, i think it's one of those series where um you have a team in the mariners who are treating this like their world series who have a lot of just vitriol hate i mean that starts with their manager who just always wants to make it about him and he has no problem calling for you know some headhunting shots at, at opposing uh you know, top-of-the-line batters to send messages. So, I think they just got to survive the surge, um, string at bats together. Honestly, the the thing that you could talk about the Houston Astros for how good they've been in October, they grind out at bats, they get in the bullpen, um, they make the pitchers work. And I, I just, you have to just continue that process and stay on them, make sure that they make the mistakes and, and make them make moves that. You know, are, are kind of high risk, high reward, and you just keep staying the course. So survive the surge early on, and then I still think the series goes five. I think it reminds me a lot of the race series in 2019. Um, two good teams that are, you know, they know each other well. and They just can grind out at bat. So um, survive the surge and just, just hold on.
1: Lastly, Lastly, wrapping up with Apollo Des, give me your favorite playoff memory up until this point.
6: Ooh, um, it's got to be you know Jose Altuve's uh, walk off against
1: Chapman. Um, that's, that's you mean you mean when he hit the I wire?
6: Mean, oh yeah, when he hit the wire and the, the confetti and and all that you know. Um, that moment right there was 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 pretty dang sweet. Obviously the championship and, and everything that happened in, uh, with Harvey um, was was a moment in itself and a movie in itself. But that home run off Chapman literally has has caused uh, that New York New York media and New York uh, fan base to uh, hate a guy that's so lovable.
1: I love it. Apollo Dez of Apollo HOU joining us for To The Moon. Really appreciate you taking the time, man. Enjoy the series, and we'll talk next week.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, bro. Tune in next week for another edition of To The Moon here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. A shot to left field, going back on its Gordon. He'll look up at the goner. You're listening to the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station.
1: Welcome back. It's crunch time right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston. Astros. So saw something earlier today that I found interesting, and uh, we're, we're going to get to it now. A clothing brand out of Seattle titled Simply Seattle Sports has made a T-shirt, and I just shared it on, on the game's Twitter page if you want to go check it out. Uh, it is a navy blue shirt with the Mariners green lettering, and down at the bottom it's got the Seattle City Skyline and there's some stripes and you know looks real nice so there's some stars and a rocket ship up at the top and it says Houston and you know clever the the U in Houston is a trash can uh-huh funny cuz that joke's not old um Houston we are a problem okay so a couple couple of things here number 1 congratulations for making it to the playoffs Congratulations for making it to the postseason. However, it's been 21 years. And every single one of those 21 years, you have sucked. Question or or statement number two. You ever heard of the phrase, act like you've done it before? Do do you see the Astros making T-shirts about how they're going to beat Seattle? Because I haven't. You want to know why? Because for the Astros, and I'm not I'm not saying I'm not sitting here saying the Astros are going to win. But here's the thing: this is the seventh year in a row that the Astros have made the ALDS. It might even be longer than that. I know they're going for their sixth consecutive trip to the championship series. So whether the Astros win or lose is quite irrelevant with my next statement. This is business. The Astros have been here before. Every player on their roster except for Jeremy Pena is used to it. They've been here before. They know what to expect. They know what they need to do to win. Lastly, from a grammar standpoint, and James, I'm going to bring you in here. Wouldn't it have been more intimidating for you to say that we are the problem. I was going to say, just saying that rather you're a generic than problem. a problem. That makes you unimportant. That makes you an afterthought.
2: We're just there. We,
1: we all have <laughs> problems. We're just going to add you to the list. No, you got to be the problem. So, cool thought for a team that doesn't get to experience a lot of postseason success? It's a cute idea. But you you didn't execute very well. You just you didn't. And when the Astros win in four, because that's my prediction. Um. I mean, see you next year. It's funny looking at the
2: rocket ship, uh, and then looking at the the needle at the bottom. It's right. like, oh,
1: we have to include that. Right. Oh yeah. Because how how could you not? Um. Surprised. I'm surprised they didn't put a little microphone wire. For for Jose, <laughs> terrible. Um, Just put them in the corner. Look, I've said this to many people. As an Astros fan and as somebody who covers the Astros, I am so incredibly ready for them to win a World Series without the trash cans so that everybody can shut up. I'm, I'm tired of getting told that I'm an Astros fan and everybody goes, oh, you like cheaters? You support cheaters? Like, come on. Are you a Yankees fan? Because they cheated. You a Red Sox fan? Because they cheated. You a Dodgers fan? Because they cheated.
2: It's it's But it's not going to go away.
1: Oh, it will once you do it without winning one. It won't be talked about as much. Because right now, every every single person that you talk to that is not an Astros fan, that is what they bring up. You win another one, they'll bring it up every now and again, but that won't be the main point of conversation.
2: Yeah, but everyone still brings up all of the Patriots Super Bowls, like whether whether there was there whether there was cheating or not. There they always bring up Spygate and Deflategate. So I mean. Whether you win, whether the Astros win this or not, people are still going to talk about it. People are still going to use it as firepower to be like, "Oh, well, you cheated with the trash cans, and Jose had the had the wire." I mean, it, it's never going to go away. Whether you win this or not, it's it's just something that will live with the organization and the fan base, whether you like it or not. Unfortunately,
1: yeah. No, I mean, I I, I don't disagree. Um 706-0111 if you want to get in on the game hotline. So here's here's the thing. You know, you look at it, and I I, I got a text uh, saying to, to tread lightly when talking about a team that beat you in the regular season 7 out of 19 times. That's fair. However, it's the postseason. The Astros are a def- different beast in the postseason. It's a different machine. Let's go to the hotline. David, what's up?
7: Hey, how you guys doing? Doing well, okay. man. Okay, so you're talking um, baseball, and I'll be the first to admit I'm in and out on baseball. Um, I just found out that the season just recently ended. I actually thought that ended like about a month ago. So, But you mentioned with the cheating scandals. Now, the Astros of course everyone kind of not everyone but a lot of people know about their situation with the cheating but you mentioned the stro the um the Dodgers the Yankees and and and, and the, the Red Sox when did their cheating scandals come about other than players using some type of um, performance hen- hen- enhancing drug
1: uh the Yankees were using Apple watches in 2018 to send signals really
7: oh, Wow Wow. Technology, bro. I guess it is what it is. I did not know this. Wow. And the and the Astros and Do- the Astros, the I'm Dodgers and the Sox, same thing.
1: Um, the Dodgers had a video coordinator dresses an MLB employee and was going into bullpens and getting camera footage uh, for for the team to use for signals.
7: My goodness, man. Well, I guess you got to, you know, what they all saying: if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Well, I mean, that, that's fair. But, but you know, I, and look, I'm not. I'll be the first to say, look, if you're cheating, then it, that you're not the the team for me. I don't root for either one of the teams you mentioned, but I did not know about the the other three. Um, I guess baseball didn't feel like covering that, or, or the. You know, guys in the media, including the local guys, didn't feel like talking about those cheating scandals as opposed to, as well, a, as opposed people, to the Houston Astros cheating scandal.
1: People people have tried to, but the MLB has done a great job of, of, of protecting their big markets.
7: No, but, you know, hey, people, too. Listen, if you, it is what it is. You, you root for a certain team, no matter what your team does, cheating or not, you're going to continue rooting for them for the most part. So. All right, thanks for that that, that clarification on the other cheating teams. I did not know about this. I learned something new today.
1: Absolutely, man. Appreciate the call. (laughs)
7: Have a good one.
1: (laughs) So, yeah. Now, again, not sitting here going back to the Astros and Mariners. I'm not sitting here saying that the Astros are are no doubt going to win this series. I think they will. But I'm not saying that with 100% certainty because the Mariners are a great team. They really are. They've had a great year. You've made the postseason. You've got Luis Castillo. You've got Julio Rodriguez. You've got Ty France and a a slew of others. But again, experience means something, especially in baseball. Experience means something. And the Astros doing it time and time again on a consistent basis year in and year out, is going to pay dividends for them. And again, I'll, I'll say it again, I think the Astros went in four. If I'm wrong, I ate my crow. I'm, I'm fine with that. I've done it plenty of times. I, I'm not afraid to to admit that I was wrong. The Astros went in four. So, once again, series starts tomorrow, 2.37 p.m., First pitch pregame is at 2.07. James and I will bring you a seven-minute preview of the game before we turn it over to Robert Ford and Steve Sparks. But it is time for you to warm up your dancing legs for the official run and duathlon of Festival Acadien et Creole. Race through Lafayette's historic district and end up at Girard Park for Festival Acadien et Creole on Sunday, October 16th. Compete in the 5K, 10K, or run, paddle, run in the duathlon. Taking part in the event helps support local parks, community projects, and the festival that we all love. Volunteer or register at latrail.org. That's latrail.org. Take time out, and when we return, Russ Livingood of the Thundercast covering the Marshall Thundering Herd joins us for a weeknight preview of Louisiana and Marshall, and we'll do that next Here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
0: They could debate who should win the MVP, but they'd rather argue who has the best hair in sports talk radio.
6: We just washed the hair. You know, I worked on my hair a long time, and you you hit it.
8: It hits my hair.
0: Now Now back to more of of the the stylish stylish Crunch Crunch Time time with Miguez and Mesh here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Southwest Louisiana's Louisiana's Sports Sports Station.
1: Back here on Crunch Time. It's time to talk Marshall Thundering Herd as the Cajuns travel up to Huntington this week to take on Marshall in a weeknight primetime national television matchup. Joining us From the Thundercast is Mr. Russ living good. Russ, how you doing, man?
8: Well, I'm living good. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I mean, you gotta be right with a name like that. I mean, you just (laughs) you you gotta be living a good life. All right, yes, sir. Uh, Go ahead. Go ahead. Let's look at Marshall. You know, one of one of those years where you know you had one of the biggest wins in school history when when you took down Notre Dame. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you turned around, and I, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but you turned around and lost to a bad bowling green team. They um, are
8: a bad bowling green team. They're at the bottom of uh, NCAA right now. And uh, it's one of those things. We had a horrible quarter. In the second quarter, we lost, uh, we had 21 points given up, and we lost two fumbles inside the five. Either one of those don't get lost, and it's a totally different game. We win that game, but you're 100% correct.
1: Yeah, so, you know, three and two, kind of an up and down kind of season. Walk, walk me through the roller coaster start.
8: Well, I think uh, fans were short for fanatics, but we all were over the moon with uh, beating Notre Dame. I went to that game, and uh, it was special to go up there and beat the team, and it wasn't on fluke plays or anything. Uh, as I stated on my podcast going in, we just matched up really well with them. Our defense is stout. I didn't feel like they could run. We did that. And then we blew the game at Bowling Green, and we faced a very good Troy team. Uh, our offense sputtered, uh, especially on pass blocking and throwing, and we lost that game with basically no offense other than one running back. And then we had an FCS opponent Gardner Webb uh, it's last week so we're at 3 and 2 we're four plays away from being 5 and 0 but the harsh reality is we are 3 and 2.
1: You know l- looking at it, it it really starts at the top. Let's talk about Charles Huff. You know okay. He he's, he's a guy that he's just he's such a great coach. Coming from the the Nick Saban tree and you know just what's it like, you know getting to cover a a program run by a guy like Charles Huff?
8: Well, so this is our first year in this podcast, so I can't compare it to other years, but I will tell you that going into this year, I was hyped because of last year that uh, when he got hired in his interview, he said, we're going to get bigger Uh, We have to be bigger on the defensive line. We have to be bigger uh, on the linebackers. We have to be bigger on the defensive backs. So we have upgraded, and we brought in 24 uh, transfers, a lot of those from P5 schools, uh, that helped bolster the roster. And that was just his vision that we have to get bigger. We have to be... Uh, this size is what we're going to recruit and what we're going to look for transfers. We playing you guys in the bowl game, we brought six defensive linemen is all that got off the bus on the plane. And we were just overmatched and he shored up the defensive line and he does what he says. A lot of fans are going to be upset that we lost two games that we should have won, but, you can really tell that he is a special coach, at least from my perspective, and his philosophy is because he has been at these stops before here and learned how to win and what building a program is all about.
1: Lance Guidry, your, your defensive coordinator, is no stranger to, uh, to southwest Louisiana. You know, Talk about mm-hmm. the value of having a guy that comes from such a fertile recruiting ground uh, how how valuable is it to have a guy that can recruit this this area?
8: Well, not just Guidry, but Huff himself was the number one recruiter in the nation when uh, when we snagged him away from Alabama. And uh, the story that uh, Sabin has told was that when he was at Mississippi State, he talking about Charles Huff, he was the number one recruit and. What does Alabama do? They just went and hired him away. So we we have a great recruiter. We have a guy that knows how to recruit, and it's passed on down. Guidry, but not just Guidry. We now have uh, Chevis Jackson, a former defensive back in the NFL, is uh, the defensive backs coach. We have a bit of a younger coaching staff. They relate to these players, and they have recruited – and set up Marshall
1: for the future, in my opinion. Chatting with Russ Good of the Thundercast podcast. You know, Henry Columbia is off to a to a solid start at quarterback. You know, six touchdowns, three interceptions. He's completed over or close to 70% of his passes so far on the year. You know, I, I know you guys didn't have the podcast last year, but just from watching mm-hmm. the, the games a year ago, compare Columbia and Grant Wells.
8: So, Grant Wells had a big-time arm. There were a lot of uh, longer passes. Uh, he had a lot of zip, the frozen rope that you uh, you always associate with someone with a big arm. And he also seemed to get rattled at times and would turn the ball over. Mental errors, forcing the ball. Um, and that really would stall our offense. And famously, uh, you know, in, in the bowl game, he was just rattled, and it, it lost its game. And Columbia has come in, and he is more of a game manager. I'm not saying he doesn't have a big arm. He doesn't have, in my opinion, the, the arm that Wells has, but he's not throwing the ball downfield, whether that is because of a, a, an arm issue. I don't mean an injury, but you know the strength to do that. Um Pass blocking, we've had some problems, or wide receivers getting separation. But Marshall is a team that is only completing 9.96 yards per completion, and it's dink and dunk and over the middle and that sort of thing instead of the the long game. Uh, Wells had that in spades. Columbia seems to be more of a game manager.
1: Going to the running back spot, Rasheen Ali last year burst onto the scene as a true freshman, 1,400 yards, 23 touchdowns. He put up 160 yards and three touchdowns on the Cajuns in the New Orleans Bowl. Gets hurt early on this year and, you know, as of now, still out. Uh, but then, you know, Kalen Laybourne steps up, and and he's having – a big year. the seniors already at 731 yards and eight touchdowns on the season. My question here is, did Marshall fans expect that kind of performance out of Laburn?
8: I sure did because I saw him in our uh, spring game, the green and white game. Uh, I heard some practice reports, uh, other players, parents, that sort of thing talking about how special he was, the cutting ability, the explosiveness out of the cuts. We expected to have Ali that would be spelled by Labor to give a two-headed attack. We don't have that right now, but I am extremely hopeful that Ali may make an appearance two nights from now in the Louisiana game. Um, If he does, it's going to change our offense dramatically. I don't expect him to come back and be RB1 in the first game. I think there will be some rust to come off. Uh, but we're talking about Kalen Laburn, who was two yards shy before this bye week of leading the nation, and he's 148 yards now shy going into this Wednesday night game of leading the nation in yards. If Ali does come back and one strength goes out and is replaced by another strength, I think that we could be very dangerous in the backfield.
1: Going to the wide receivers now. Corey Gamage has been a name that that has really stood out for Marshall, especially last season and into this year as well. Uh, what stands out about his game? I know you guys have kind of gone to a more rushing attack, but he, he's he's been really consistent, really powerful for the herd. What stands out about his game?
8: He's six foot four. Uh, he is not a burner, but he is not by any means slow at six foot four. So uh, we have the ability, if we would do it more often, to throw over the top or jump balls to him. Uh, he is also someone that is good at yards after the catch and taking a hit in last week's game. He got hit uh, on a 10-yard pass. Uh, he got hit right around the line of scrimmage and then shook off hit after hit after hit and spins and goes into the end zone. After fighting for ten yards uh, on a pass to the to the line of scrimmage, so he has that ability, uh, big, strong, take the ball away. We just got to get the ball to him a little bit more.
1: Looking at the defense, Russ, you know, just really excellent talent all over the field. Eli Neal, Abraham Beauplane, Owen Porter on the edge, Stephen Gilmore in the secondary. I mean, to have talent like that at every level of this defense, how valuable is that?
8: Oh, it's it's, uh, it's crazy how talented we are. Uh, we are fourth in the nation uh, on rushing against, giving up only 71.2 yards. We're fourth in the nation at only giving up third down conversions 23.9% of the time. We are just really, really good At defense, we have uh, it starts up front now with uh, some big bodies that were brought over uh, to shore up that defensive line. Like I mentioned earlier, we have uh, linebackers that are very fast, and then we have shutdown corners and very good safeties. We are stronger against the run, but we're still 47th in the nation against the pass, only giving up 210. We're only giving up 281.2 per game yards. It's, uh, that's why I say the record's a little misleading. But, again, we're 3-2, and two and you can't take those and say, well, they should have been victories. They don't give you victories for should have been. But, yeah, our defense is stellar, and uh, that has kept us in a lot of games. And that's one of the reasons that I predicted that we were going to win against Notre Dame was because our defense was going to shut them down.
1: Wednesday night, you know, first Sunbelt game at the Joan. Definitely uh, going to be a, you know, insane electric atmosphere. What are your expectations for this game?
8: So I don't know if you know, but we are debuting black helmets for the first time. Uh, it's a blackout game, so the fans should all be wearing black. Uh, the Marshall players will be uh, adorned head-to-toe in black. Um, First time ever having a Sunbelt opponent. We could not be more thrilled to be in the Sunbelt. I think that it could be an electric atmosphere. Weather looks like it should be good. Uh, Rain looks like it might start to creep in around game time, but nothing that would be a downpour. And right before kickoff, it's going to be 74 degrees. And two days ago, it's 46 up here. So um, I think that the atmosphere should be electric. Um, I think that we have a, a very strong opponent coming up. I'm glad it's you guys that are uh, coming here for the first time. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I, I truly believe this will be a good atmosphere. Our, um, our production team puts on a good game. Uh, if we get the student section there and everyone's loud and we are chanting We Are Marshall. Uh, I think it'll just add to the atmosphere, and make it a, uh, a tough place to play.
1: So you, you talked about the all-black uniforms. So this is different from the 75 game, correct?
8: Yes, yes. So uh, in years past, we have worn black uniforms, uh, tops and bottoms, jerseys and pants, but not black helmets. And this year, we have done the blackout uh, on this game because it was a night game. Uh, Because it was going to be a midweek game, we knew it would be featured on television. They changed it up a little bit. They haven't said what they're going to do for the uh, 75-week yet, uh, which will be against App State. But I don't think that they would do two blackouts in a row um, in the season. I know the games aren't back-to-back. But we're, we're looking at something that could be... You know how it is when you debut something, uh, the players really get into it, that sort of thing. I think there's a lot of hype uh, from them that will be debuting these uniforms. And we've always played very well when we debut something like the 75-week, the special helmets that they wore. So, yeah, I think it's going to be pretty special and hyped up, and it's definitely different than the 75-week.
1: Lastly, Russ, give me your three keys to victory for the Herd.
8: Yes. So we have to uh, we have to put pressure on Muldridge, your uh, quarterback. We have to get sacks or at the very least pressure him into hurries and throwing the football. Hopefully, our dynamic cornerbacks uh, uh, that are tied for second at least going into the bye week—they were for interceptions—each of them uh, can help get turnovers. On the other hand, number two, we have to prevent turnovers. You guys are very good at causing turnovers with 10 interceptions and four fumble recoveries on the year. And lastly, we have got to stop the penalties. Um, We are not as bad on paper as what I know you guys are going to beat yourselves up, but uh, the penalties that you guys have compared to us, but ours have not come at good times at all when the offensive line was already struggling with pass blocking and then you get a first down only to be called back by penalties, we can't do that against Louisiana. So that's my three.
1: Russ Good of the Thundercast podcast joining us with a rundown of the Marshall Thundering Herd. Russ, really appreciate you taking the time. Great insight into Marshall. Uh, have a blast Wednesday night at in Huntington, and uh, we'll talk soon.
8: Yes, sir. Thank you, guys.
1: And there he goes, Russ living good. The man's living good. I mean, how, how could you not be? Take a timeout. Wrap up today's show right after this. Right here on the game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
0: From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans, Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now, now, back, back to, to more, more Crunch time. time with Miguez and Mesh here Coming on The, the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
2: Just a couple minutes left before we wrap up this Monday edition of Crunch Time. But once we're done, we're going to go to CBS. But then after that, we're going to have Monday Night Football here on this station. So don't tune out. It's going to be the Raiders versus the Chiefs. Now, for me... I'm going to have to take the Chiefs in this one, but what about you, Matt?
1: Oh, my God. Chiefs by a million.
2: (laughs) Chiefs by a million. Interesting. But let me tell you, one of the things that I love about betting on the NFL is that I'm always finding new players or game props that I like. And what's cool about FanDuel Sportsbook is you can combine these props with other bets from the same game to score an even bigger payout, perfect for tonight's game. I'll be taking the Chiefs' money line while taking Devontae Adams to score an anytime touchdown, and then taking the over on Travis Kelsey's receiving yards. Same-game parlays are just one of the reasons why I bet with FanDuel. My friends love betting on there, and it's America's number one sportsbook. While they have fast withdrawals when you win, and you get paid your winnings fast by FanDuel. There's no feeling like nailing a same-game parlay bet, so lock in your bet today on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you're new to FanDuel, just sign up using promo code KLWB for your no-sweat-first bet up to $1,000. That's promo code KLWB. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 and older and present in Louisiana permitted parishes only. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is not a free bets that expire 14 days after the receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. And if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-877-770-STOP.
1: This man just a walking billboard. Just a walking billboard for
2: gambling. Oh, yeah,
1: gambling, man. Oh, man. couple couple more minutes here on Crunch Time. want to take the opportunity to thank our guy, Wilson Alexander, for joining us each and every Monday for Tiger Talk, Apollo Dez for coming on a day early for To the Moon, and then Russ Living Good of the Thundercast podcast for joining us on a preview of Marshall... No show tomorrow as Game 1 of the Houston Astros and the Seattle Mariners will be happening right here on the game. First pitch, 237. Astro launch starts at 207. James and I will join you for 7 minutes from 2 to 207, and then we'll turn it over to Robert Ford and Steve Sparks. That'll be the plan for Tuesday and Thursday right here on this station. We'll be back Wednesday. For James Mesh, I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe. Be well. Be well. Give a hug to your mom and them. CBS Sports Radio is next, Monday Night Football. After that, you are listening to the game. It's 103.7 Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and it is your home. For the LSU Tigers, and Houston Astros.